it's okay. It's uh, it's a again it's a uh, book that we've been going through. It's after the Word of God, and it takes the, uh, it takes 31 themes and people throughout history from the beginning to the end. Points us to the story of redemption and rescue and the gospel, uh, the intentions of God in the Old Testament, um, and the plan to rescue and redeem humanity. Last week we remembered and celebrated the two greatest events in history. These events, without these events, none of us would have a chance and we probably wouldn't even be here right now. The crucifixion of Jesus, where he paid for our sins. You know, it's the cross if you didn't. Doesn't Donna do a good job? I mean, this was kind of her vision, so I, I just have to give her props for that. But, you know, the, the, I had the idea of the paid in full, and I, I just love that on the top of it, that that's, our, our sins are paid in full by Jesus. Without Him, we have no chance, and He is what the world so desperately needs. And so we remember this crucifixion, but He did not stay dead. He rose from the dead just as He said He would. And so these two events were kind of the crescendo of God's plan to rescue and redeem humanity. And uh, these were the extent and demonstration of God's love for us. And it reveals, again, the length of which He will go to win humanity back. And so, also the resurrection of Jesus, we talked about this last week on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus validates everything He said about Himself. If He has not risen from the dead, then the things that He would have said about Himself included being that He would rise from the dead, it would all just be you know, for naught. And, uh, and, and then Paul says that there's no resurrection from the dead by Jesus, we're all to be pity, and we're all delusional. And so it validates everything He said about Himself, that He is the Messiah, He is the Lord, He's the Savior, He's the promised one that the prophets are told about. And then the great thing is because He lives, we can have the assurance that He is who He said He is and that we can also have the assurance of eternity with Him if we belong to Him. But today we move from those events and we kind of turn a chapter, another chapter in history. Jesus rises from the dead. He is around for 40 days. There are eyewitnesses, and that you read about that in Scripture, there are eyewitnesses um, to His resurrection. He's seen by around 500 people who were His followers, and they, they can testify that He was alive. So He ascends back to heaven, but reminds them of a promise that He had given them before. Remember, and we're going to touch in on this in a few minutes, but in John, He promises disciples, He says that, there is going to be a promised Holy Spirit coming, and, 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 and He's telling them about this promise, and that's what we're looking at today. So the story kind of, in, in the book of the story, the chapter is New Beginning. And so a new season was coming. We're moving from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, because even the Gospels are still under the Old Covenant. They're in our New Testament Bibles, but Jesus operated in, under the Old Covenant. His death and resurrection is what launched us into the New Covenant, new life in Christ. That, that was the ability for us to have a new life and trust a new covenant was coming. Here's the cool thing. This promise that was coming didn't just to affect his immediate followers at the time, but it had implications for us now. That we get the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then basically what we see in Acts is the birth of the church. So we move from the Gospels and the life of Jesus into the book of Acts. It's, uh, the, 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 the big title is Acts of the Apostles. It's the, it's the, the thing from the, uh, the, that the apostles did. It's looking at what they did at the time of the birth of the church. And again, this ragtag group of dysfunctional men that Jesus called, they are the ones that 
brought in and ushered in the church. And so Jesus was passing on his kingdom to us. Remember, they were sad. They were really disheartened when he said he's talking about leaving. But he said, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment, he said, it's good that I go away, and you're going to find out why it's good that I go away. But they, they were disheartened. We're not going to have you immediately right here in the flesh. What do we do? And Jesus just says, just wait. You, you'll understand. And so he's passing on his kingdom work to them. So Acts is actually broken down in, in, in sections. Today we're going to look at that first part where the church was born, what was happening, and, and what that means to us today. So we're going to look at uh, the first place we're going to go is Acts chapter 1. First, the first chapter of Acts, we're going to move through this. Kind of I've got a lot of scripture here, but I think it's important for us to, to read it. Um, this book was written by Luke. Uh, Luke wrote one of the Gospels. Luke was a physician. He was uh, not in the immediate disciples, but he was a follower of Christ. And so he writes this book, and he says that it begins this way. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, he's writing to this man, Theophilus, about he's given a historical account of what has happened and what, uh, just to kind of pass on to the generations. He said, I wrote about all that, that Jesus began to do in peace until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I like Luke. Luke is kind of one of those guys. He's more, you know, John's more of a heart guy. John, the, you know, the, the, the disciple John, he's more kind of a heart. But Luke is, he's got the heart deep for it, but he says, you know, um, I, I want to look at the evidence. He's a doctor. He's kind of a thinking guy. But he says there were, there were convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So what was Jesus teaching about again? The kingdom. Even after he rose from the dead, the kingdom of God. It's, it's the, the new kingdom. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I love that the disciples are still thinking about when do we take over. You know, doesn't that give you hope for yourself? Even after he's risen from the dead, he's shown he died. They thought that was all was lost. He was very victory. And like, maybe now we get to take over. And so this is the question they ask. They still, they still have some struggles. But is this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the days. Guys, stop asking about that. I think that Jesus is a nice way of saying that. Stop asking about that. He's not, you know, the times or dates the Father has set up by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. After He said that He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as He was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. That's a great promise for the end of the age. He said, you can, you, you can be assured, he will come back. And he's coming back through the crowds, and, uh, and, and, and so uh, be ready for it. And, and so we, we'll get into that in a different time, but these, these, these angels kind of gave that word. 
And so they're given, Jesus said, you know, don't leave Jerusalem, go back to Jerusalem. So they go into this place, they, they, are, uh, they are waiting in this place, it's called the upper room in Jerusalem. They have a business meeting and they elect a new apostle to take Judas' place. They're not really sure. I mean, they're there and they're like, well, we're here, let's choose a new apostle. Um, we're waiting for this promise. We don't know what it's going to look like. We, we just know that Jesus said it's going to be, he's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they elect a new uh, apostle. We then pick up the story in Acts 2. So Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a great cloud came together in bewilderment, uh, just in case if you're hearing the wind indoors, that would probably draw a cloud. So people are coming, they're in bewilderment because each one, under, uh, I lost my place, God-fearing Jews, because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us here them in our own native language. And they begin their Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Bithynia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And so we have the promise, Jesus goes up, we have this event in Acts chapter 2. This is the birthplace of the church. This is Jesus saying, here's the promise that I gave you, here it comes, and then it happens. So the promise of the Holy Spirit comes, and the church is born. What you have here somewhat is the church starting by a wildfire, right? Kind of spiritually. What are the two components in a wildfire? You need wind and fire. It's kind of what's happening in this room. And so it's a supernatural phenomenon that takes place here where they, there's wind blowing and then it says like, like fire is above each of their heads and they can see it. So the people in the room are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to supernaturally speak in the tongues or the languages of the different people groups that are gathered in Jerusalem. There was a great gathering. The Holy Spirit comes and then they have this supernatural ability to speak in the known languages of the people there. They begin to declare the gospel. They're declaring the greatness and goodness of God. And so, this is all happening kind of like it's a wildfire to begin the church, the, to the birthplace of the church. So they had a supernatural. What is supernatural? It's beyond the natural. Wasn't that deep? It was powerful, wasn't it? supernatural, beyond the natural realm of its ability to declare the gospel in languages they had never learned. And so it's like if, 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 if this event happened here, it would be like us all of a sudden, you're, if you didn't have any prior ability, but you begin to speak Spanish unless you're Lord Miranda back there and you can speak Spanish. Good to have you guys. Um, but you know, it's the ability to speak languages that you don't know. You speak Russian or Italian or whatever. And and you're able to speak supernatural, so they have this supernatural ability to be able to do it. They, 
The people are perplexed and they're wondering what's going on. It's somewhat critical, as you see in the, at the end of this. But Peter goes right into preaching a message to the multitudes. A lot of people are gathered around. And what happens is, and if you kept on reading, about 3,000 people surrendered their lives to Christ that day. It's an explosion, wildfire, birth of the church. Interestingly enough, this event never happens again like this. There's never another incident where supernatural happening like this is recorded, where there's wind and fire on people to to say that this means that they are that the Holy Spirit is there. We see the Spirit's power come in other different ways, manifest differently. But I believe that God was beginning His church with a wildfire that was spread from that moment from those gathered, and then ultimately to fulfill, fulfill what Jesus had said, that you would be my witnesses. I'll give you power to be my witnesses from Judea to Mary and to the ends of the earth. And so you, the church is born at this time with a wildfire, but you, you don't see that event happening again. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. So the Holy Spirit. The next bit we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. Where was He in the Old Testament? You ever wondered that? Where's the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead, where is He at in the, whole, the Old Testament? We're going to talk about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit, what He would do. Then we're going to look at His work in our lives as individuals and as His church. So firstly, let, let me just talk about the Holy Spirit isn't in it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. It's over and over in Scripture. We hear this word Trinity triune, three parts of, of one whole. Um, it, it, you know, if you can understand fully the Trinity, God bless you, you're doing better than a lot of people. But it's one God who manifests himself in three different persons, distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is a, the third person of the triune God. People tend to understand like God the Father, the Creator, I get him, Jesus the Son, we, we tend to understand and are able to gravitate to understanding the Son. The Holy Spirit can tend to make people feel a bit uncomfortable because it feels mysterious. Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. I mean, when you hear the word ghost, I mean, you know, you're just thinking of all kinds of things. I think people tend to get weirded out by just the, the title. It's not, let me, let me go ahead and demystify He's the third person of the trying God that has a ministry also to us. The Greek word used for Holy Spirit is the word paraclete, not paraclete, paraclete. That word means this, comforter. And so th- this will help you to not be so weirded out about the Holy Spirit. Comforter, helper, teacher, counselor, friend. It's literally the one who comes alongside you. That's the little definition there of that word. And so we see this break out of the Spirit upon the people in Acts. But again, where was he in the Old Testament? Was he there? Yes, he was. He was just not manifested like he would be in the New Testament, in the Acts at the birth of the church. He, he, was, he, he had a ministry. He did things. And so I just want to look at some places in the Old Covenant where we see the Holy Spirit. There's more than this. I'm just going to give you an idea that he is ministry. Of course, he's at the very beginning, remember, uh, at the very beginning of creation, you have God the Father, you have Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit. It said the Spirit was hovering over the darkness in the face of the deep, and then God spoke, and the Spirit activated, and then there was light. And so you have the Holy Spirit in, in creation. 
But just a few places. Where, where is the whole Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant? First is this, the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. It says this in Genesis 41, 38, the Holy Spirit gave Joseph the skill to rule in Egypt. It says that he had that ability from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave Joshua military power, Numbers 27, 18. He gave two unknown men the power to work as craftsmen, Exodus 31, 2 through 6, when they were building the temple furniture. So the Holy Spirit gave these guys wisdom to work as craftsmen. We see somewhat of the Holy Spirit moving in the giftedness of, of, that, that he was giving people, that God would give people. Fourth is we have this substance the Spirit would give words to the prophets to speak over God's people. Five, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon to lead the Abyssalites in Judges 6 34. says the Holy Spirit came upon him to be able to lead. So go keep going. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson, and so that he would do that voice of strength and warfare. And it said that his strength came from the Lord, so the Holy Spirit would come upon him. We have Samuel to Saul. This is first Samuel 10. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you with great power. And you will prophesy, and you'll be changed into a different person. And then Jesus, he's, again, he's under the Old Covenant, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Mary said? He says, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, the angels said, you're going to have a baby. And the, the angels said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So there's the Holy Spirit at work at the conception of Christ. And then the last one we'll look at. Jesus was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 4 says, The Son of God was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's testimony to the Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead. So we see his presence in the Old Testament, but it's, it's, it's in kind of a, to a select few at select times. But now through the promise of Jesus, we see him come to all who would believe. Acts 2 was how he came to those first followers, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. And they have that word baptism. Remember what John the Baptist said. He said, I baptize you, but there's one who is coming after me. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus said, I will baptize you. So Jesus is the baptist. I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And so, baptize, that word baptize means overwhelm or complete immersion into. So when we, that's why we do baptism, when we baptize you in water, we, we, we do the full dunk. We take you under because it's immersion. It's dead with Christ, but raised to life in Christ. That I, that I am, my, my sins are dead and I, and I, uh, I, I adhere to the death of Christ, but I'm raised with Christ in His resurrection. And so baptism means immersion, complete to be overwhelmed. And so, how is one baptized in the Spirit? Great question. Glad you asked. So, Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2. Remember, all of this is going on, and then he preaches 3,000 people get saved. But I want you to look at Acts 2, 37-39 here. When the people heard this, he had been preaching about Jesus being Messiah and Savior. He's calling them to repentance. He's pointing to Christ. He's talking about salvation in Christ. It says that they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? What is our response? We see what's going on. Jesus is being declared. You call it, what, what should we do? 
So Peter replied in 38, repent. That word repent. It's, again, there's the call. The Old Testament, remember, they're always calling people to repentance, get right with God. John the Baptist, repent, get right with God. Jesus, the poor message, repent, get right with God. And so now Peter is going to repent and be baptized. Here again, that's why we we don't baptize babies because we believe people need to repent. They need to be aware of their sin. They need to consciously, on their own, by their own will, turn from their sin, their way of doing it, and turn to Christ and surrender. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then what does he say? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God, our God, will call. So Peter is saying that when you genuinely repent of your sins, you turn to Christ and complete the that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you should be water baptized. It was a command of Jesus. He, 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 he led the way. He was the one who showed us the example. And if possible, you should be baptized. But it isn't a prerequisite to salvation. Again, the thief on the cross, Jesus says, today you'll be in paradise. No way this guy could be baptized. But we should be baptized in in, in, in a response to turning from our sins. It's that public testimony that we have turned from our sins. So we don't have to have fire over our heads, wind blowing on us, or the ability to supernaturally speak in the languages that we've never learned to reveal that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter says, repent, be baptized every one of you, turn to Christ with forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's no indication that happened to the 3,000 that were saved that day. It says that they returned from their sins and they were filled with they, 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 they genuinely repented. They put their trust in Christ and they were baptized in water and then they were filled with the Spirit. And so that's why, interestingly, you know, interestingly enough, when we talk about salvation, especially in our culture in our day, salvation, this idea of calling people to salvation, I think we have to be very careful that we're just doing more than let me see your hand, let me have you just pray a prayer. Now, I'm not saying that there's not an important part of that starting point of putting a, you know, putting words to your faith, but I think we must be very careful that just because somebody prayed a prayer at a moment of emotion, that doesn't necessarily that they are now turned from their sins and they're walking with Christ. Jesus even made it offensive to our culture. Remember one time he said, if you want to be my follower, you need to sit down and count the cost. He almost was saying, please don't raise your hands yet. You need to think about this. You need to understand this is going to cost you everything. It will be the greatest cost you ever pay. It will be like, you know, the guy that buried, uh, that found the, he said the kingdom of God is like the guy that found the treasure hidden in the field for everything, but he sold everything to get that treasure. He said the kingdom of God is like, it will cost you everything. But it will be the greatest price you ever pay for anything. And so he's almost offensive, like saying, make sure you understand that you count the cost, that you truly are repenting of your sins, you're returning to me as Lord and Savior. You need to understand that. And so this evidence of being filled with the Spirit it was not tongues, but it was a life of repentance. It was the fruits of repentance, Christ's likeness, the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, it's Christ now, it's the Spirit taking place in your heart is there evidence that there is now love, not, not perfection, but are you moving toward the life of Christ, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, and self-control. These are fruits 
that you are filled with the Spirit, not the gifts. The gifts aren't the fruit. The fruit is the proof. Is the life of the Spirit evident in my life? That is a Spirit-filled life. That is a new creation life. Now, I grew up in the denomination I grew up. I won't say it, but uh, it was Southern Pentecostalism. And I remember, and I just want to you know, share my heart with you a little bit today, because I remember growing up, and I had a hard time, not when I was little, because I didn't even think anything about it, but when I became a teenager, and I had other friends that were strong Christians. Some of, you know, I, I, had, I, had, I had Christian friends from different walks, different uh, denominations, and uh, but I had two friends in particular that uh, had a, a profound impact on me. Um, you know, I was a Pentecostal guy. I, uh, you know, uh, believed the stuff of Pentecostals. But these, these two guys were not Pentecostals, but they were two of the very strongest Christians that I've ever met in my life. And I saw evidence of the work of the Lord in their heart. But, you know, I was kind of trained, and we would say this, and I think we have to be very careful, but I was trained to say these kind of things, and you would hear these kind of things. they say, well, you know, that's a great church, or he's a good brother, she's a good sister, but they're not filled with the Spirit. They're not Spirit-filled. And you'd hear that, and again, you just, you hear it over and over, and you don't think anything about it. But when I became a teenager, I began to start kind of thinking, well, what do they mean by that? What are, they, what are they getting at? Well, that's a, that's a great church, but it's not spirit-filled. And then one of my friends who, again, he, he was, this guy was way more walking close to Jesus than I was. I mean, I, I, was, I was floundering in my faith, and I, I, was, I was kind of, but I had spiritual gifts. But this guy walked it out. And I, I remember thinking, you know, they go, well, that's a great brother, but he's not spirit-filled. And I begin to think, what is he filled with then? Is he just filled with knowledge? No, I mean, his life shows me that there is something going on there. And another friend was the same way. And, and, and both these guys would go to churches that we would consider like not a spirit-filled church. But these guys are so filled with the Spirit. The life of Christ was evident, so evident in their lives. And I think we must be very careful how we say those kinds of things, that who is spiritual or who is not. Remember, Paul, Paul ends the argument in 1 Corinthians 13. And I don't understand why this is so complicated, because he says, though I speak in tongues of men and of angels, if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong and it profits me nothing. That's the end of the argument to me. And so the followers of the day are filled, and the promise was not just to them, but for all who would believe, all who would genuinely repent and give trust in Christ. So what did this mean? Why the Holy Spirit? Let's look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in his ministry. John 14, this is uh, when Jesus, again, this is before his crucifixion, John 13 through 18, is up until his arrest. He says this, I'm going to try to move through if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. 
On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Don't miss that sentence. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He's still calling us to holiness. He's still calling us to live the right way with the power of the Spirit. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. All of this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Don't lose sight of what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus says He's going to do. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. John 14, let's go to 16. He says a little more about the Holy Spirit. So again, Jesus has been talking about leaving and his disciples would be persecuted. And then he gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit and, and, and what he will come to do. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. And obviously, well, they were sad. I mean, what, you're leaving them. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. It's important to remember. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And then again in Acts 1 Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all the Spirit is in the What is Jesus saying about the Holy Spirit? I mean, he's on the earth. I think he's, we, we, can, we can safely say he's the greatest teacher ever, right? Hopefully you adhere to that. So what is he saying that the Holy Spirit will do? You can take these two passages, and this is in depth of what he says about the Holy Spirit. He said he will help us. He said there's that word helper. He will be with you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. So it's like Jesus says that my Spirit will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. So he will, I've been with you in the flesh, but I was, I was, in my humanity, I was limited to be with you. But with the Holy Spirit, God will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you all the time. So he was limited physically. That's why he said it's good for me to go away. And so it says that the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus that he's our comforter. It says that he will teach us and remind us of the things that Jesus said. So he's going to teach us what Jesus said. He's going to remind us of the teachings of Christ. It says he will give us peace or be our counselor. It will convict of sin, the world and us, reminding us of the righteousness and judgment. It points back to his saving grace, the saving grace through Christ. It says Jesus says this, he will guide you, the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. I will guide you to the truth. He will point to Christ all the time. It's interesting that he says this about the Holy Spirit. He says he will speak on his own behalf. Now, he's equally God. Isn't that interesting that 
The Holy Spirit, who is equally God like Jesus and the Father, and Jesus says He won't speak on His own behalf. Can't He like play the God card too? Well, I'm as much God as you guys. I'm going to speak on my own behalf. But Jesus says He will not speak on His own behalf, but He will speak with that which He hears. And so He's revealing that there's even structure in the Godhead. There's structure in the Godhead. It's not... It, it, it's complementarian. It's not one is more important than the other. It's if you will glorify Jesus in all that He does. In us, He will glorify Jesus. He won't glorify us. He will give us power to be witnesses of Jesus in the world. That's one. So that is His work given to us by Jesus Himself. And so all, all that He does in, in and through us won't contradict those things. Remember in 1 John chapter 3, it says we are to test the spirits. What, what is, what's going on? How do we test the spirits? A couple times we're called to test them. How do we test the spirits? Well, you test the spirits by what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. If it's drawing attention to you, if it's going against the Word of God, that is not a spirit of Christ. That's not the Holy Spirit. Word. That's how we test the spirits. What did Jesus say that He would do? If it contradicts Christ, if it contradicts the Word, it's not a cross. And so now let's talk about His work in us. Through the promise of Jesus and us living a life of repentance, again, and surrender to Christ, we have the promise and power of the Holy Spirit inside us. And His work in and through us manifests differently day to day. And so, how does He work in and through us? Let's look at it. Let's look at this. The predominant work is to be witnesses of Jesus to our world. That's why Jesus said, go and wait and you will receive power, power to what? Power to be my witnesses to all the earth. So the predominant work of the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses of Jesus to our world. Everything He does in and through us will always be about testifying of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And so, like the Holy Spirit Himself, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be pointing people to Christ, to see Jesus, to see His work of grace, to see His salvation and His power in us, that it points to Christ all the time. He does give us power. It's not our power, it's His power. It is a supernatural power because we serve a supernatural God. His power goes beyond our natural abilities, right? We serve a supernaturally powerful God. Don't miss the fact that He does give us power. I'm not claiming that I am a weightlifter, but I have lifted weights. So, you know, that's like somebody saying, are you a golfer? And I'm like, I play golf. This doesn't make me a golfer. If you saw me, you would not accuse me of being a golfer. You'd say that he takes healthy swings at the ball. Um, that's about it. Um, and lifting weights, if you've ever lifted weights, you know, you, you, you get down there, and, and it's good to have a spotter. Don't ever lift weights alone. There's a little safety tip. I won't even charge you for that. Um, but if you're if you're lifting, lifting heavier weights, when I was in the Air Force, I worked out with this guy who's a natural bodybuilder. This guy was just, you know, he's like, wow, dude, how do you do that? You know, and, and he's, and, and, and he just, this, and, but he encouraged us, and he would work out with us, and he said, come on, I'm going to work out. We're going to do a chest workout. And you're gonna, I'm going to show you my chest workout. And I'm like, well, if I can have your chest in about 30 days, that would be great. It doesn't work that way. But 
so he's got me down there, and, 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 and I'm going to bench press, and he's going to be my spotter. And so, you know, I'm going, okay, you know, you, you, you know what I'm talking about if you've ever done this. And then you hit a wall, and then you know, muscle failure, and then you look really funny because your arms are, you know, you can't, you know, I mean, there's nothing in you. And he's going, you got five more. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have half more. And he said, I'm gonna, I'll help you. And, and, and so he's got it. And it's funny because he, he's actually doing curls with my, uh, my bend over here. I'm lifting up. And he's like, yeah, come on, you can do it. And his biceps are just bulging. I'm like, you're doing, you're doing an arm workout now. You're not doing it. It has nothing to do with me anymore. But that picture is so much, the Holy Spirit thing, you know, a lot of times what we try to do is we try to exhaust our natural ability. In our own strength, we try to accomplish things. And the Holy Spirit's waiting for us to say, you know, I want to go beyond your strength, your own abilities, and I want you to know that I'm here to give you power to help you, to give you that. That's why Paul said, I can boast in my weakness because his power is manifest in my weakness. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. His strength is perfected, that he gives us power to live a Christ like life. You know, we're given the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is happening in our lives to, to transform us. And so when we're able to live more like Christ, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't lose the fact that there's supernatural power. I was used to be this way, and now I'm that way. Most of us have that testimony. I was this way, now I'm that way. I'm, I'm living this transformed life, and it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so He gives us power to live like Christ, to be godly to make right decisions, to live righteously, the power to overcome sin. Again, it's not perfection, but it's being transformed. So when people say, what's different about you? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 talks about walking in the Spirit. That when you walk in the Spirit, you aren't obligated to live by the flesh and be dictated by it. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. And so we're given power he gives us gifts. What are the gifts to do? The gifts are to point people to Jesus. Remember, if you don't, if you're ever, if you're ever having a hard time with what is the Holy Spirit, go back to John 14 and 16. Jesus gives us the foundational work of the Holy Spirit. So when when, he, when the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts of the Spirit, it's always to be to testify of Christ. So we're given these gifts to point people to Jesus. We find those in 1 Corinthians 12. There's a list of spiritual gifts. Romans 12 has more of the practical gifts, but they're all spiritual and they're all supernatural. They differently, they manifest differently, but it's the same spirit. And then what does Paul say about it? He says, the spirit gives gifts as who wills. He wills, not as we will. The gifts aren't about us. They're not to show how spiritual we are. They are not a badge that we can wear and say, look at this gift I have. The gift, when we give gifts to our children, when we give gifts away, it's, it, it, it's not the gifts aren't to make them look special. It's that we love them and we give them gifts. But the gifts aren't proof that you're living a spirit-filled life. Let me go ahead and, 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 and say that again. Because gifts can be abused, and you can operate in a gift of the Spirit. There were times in the Old Testament, I remember Saul would prophesy, and his heart was wicked. But the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. Does that mean that he was living a Spirit-filled life toward, 
for the Lord. And so gifts are given. And again, remember what Paul says, if I speak in tongues but I don't have love, so the tongues aren't the fruit of the spiritual life, but the fruit is the fruit of the spiritual life. With that said, though, we are given supernatural gifts. God had a word of wisdom this morning. Words of knowledge. So what are those? those are, you ever have those thoughts sometimes come upon it and you didn't think of it? That's, that's profound and that's good. Again, it's not to make you look good or to show people how smart you are. It's the word of knowledge of having, you know, that, that, that you give something and then people go, how did you know that? Well, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's sort of a supernatural God that knows the end from the beginning and He knows people's heart and He loves people. And Paul talks about supernatural faith, prophecy, healing. We can pray for people. And, and, and not, not that healing is guaranteed, but we can pray that sometimes the power of the Holy Spirit who knows that person intimately and sometimes they're healed. Different types of gifts. Romans 12, he gives like the gift of encouragement, giving, teaching, leading, serving. And they're all supernatural. What does Paul say about the gifts? We should desire them. But we should also trust the Holy Spirit that he gives it at the right time. Sometimes they, they will come and go as he wills. Don't force it. That's why sometimes when people like maybe have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, Immediately they begin to think, I'm the word of wisdom, word of knowledge person. And so I'm going to try to give everyone a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. As he wills, not you. Just relax and love God and let the Holy Spirit work in and through you. Be ready. And again, when a gift is used, it always to be pointing people back to Jesus and not us. What else does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us sin. He convicts us to listen for those convicting promptings that the Holy Spirit gives you day to day. When you feel that tug in your heart and you know something's not right, listen to that. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in operation to convict you of sin. That, I shouldn't have said that. I, I, I shouldn't have watched that. I, I, and again, that's not for our guilt. That is because Jesus loves us and He disciplines those He loves as children. But when we blow it, we're doing something we sit and we can thank God that we feel the conviction. Because ultimately He wants us to walk in the freedom of the Spirit. But it is a process and it is relational. You learn how to listen and you learn how to obey those promptings. He is a friend. He's a comforter. He's a counselor. He counsels us. And He gives us power to be His witnesses that our words and actions reveal Christ to all that we come. And then the next thing, He produces spiritual fruit in our lives as we submit to Him. As we submit and surrender, He produces. Notice He doesn't give fruit like a gift. Fruit is produced. You know, not to take you to health class, but... When we think of reproduction, we, we, you know, when we talk about a, a, a husband and wife and, and the reproduction, the, we call it the fruit of their love is a child. It's the fruit that is produced through intimacy. And as we walk with Christ, we give our hearts to It's always relational. Don't lose sight of the fact that God has called us into relationship with Himself. And as we walk with Him, He produces fruit in our life. The fruit, that's why the fruit is the fruit that you're filled. It's not the gift, it's the fruit are you walking with Christ? Do I see the evidence? 
of you walking with Jesus. The more you walk in the Spirit, the more you will look like Christ. He teaches us and gives us revelation about Jesus in the Word that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. That's what Jesus says. And he testifies to Jesus to us. Again, He will not contradict the teachings of Jesus. He won't contradict the Word. That's why we have to walk in. Paul talked about this. And we were just in our family looking at some passages the other day about where we need to adhere to sound doctrine and orthodoxy. We need, to, we need sound doctrine. How do we... How do we stay from getting off the rails and going crazy in doctrine and weird teachings? This, the Holy Spirit leads us. He teaches us the Word. He teaches us the words of Jesus. And if it's outside of the Word of God, we need to throw it away. And what does the Holy Spirit do? His power, and He comes, He helps us, He comforts us, and He counsels us personally. You're never alone because of the Holy Spirit. If you feel alone, there's times of loneliness, know that the Holy Spirit is there. That's why Jesus said, it's good that I go away, because the counselor, the advocate, he's going to be with you. He gives you wisdom for decisions. He counsels you, and that's why we should ask and we should talk to him. He comforts us in hard seasons. When we, we're talking about like peace that passes understanding, joy that is unspeakable, peace or a hope that goes beyond our circumstances, and that's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, how should we live with the Holy Spirit? What should we do? In closing, I'm going to run down these and what we're going to be done. Number one is talk to Him and submit to Him every day. You know, we pray to God, we'll call out to God, or we'll pray to Jesus. I encourage you to include the Holy Spirit as you are praying. Holy Spirit, help me. Give me power. Give me strength today. Give me power to, to be more like Christ, to, to overcome. The Holy Spirit, help me to listen to you today. Help me to, be, to understand your promptings. Holy Spirit, give me the power uh, to, to, to walk and to reveal, reveal Christ to those that I come in contact with. Holy Spirit, convict me when I blow it. Talk to the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to do that. Make that a part of your prayer. It's to pray and submit to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit you all. Walk in the Spirit, or the life of the Spirit. Again, Romans 8. Walk in the Spirit. You know it's an adventure to live for Jesus? Every day is an adventure. Watch for His work. Watch for the work of the Holy Spirit around you. Pray to the Holy Spirit when, when you're praying. What do you want me to do today? Because He is moving and He is working if we will just have eyes to see what He's doing. Don't miss out on the work of the Spirit. You know those times where maybe He'll put somebody in your mind and you weren't thinking about them? Have you ever had that happen? It's the power and the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you should pray for them. Have you ever had those moments where you... We, we, we deal with this, and again, sometimes we just think maybe it's coincidence. Guys, as believers in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing is coincidence. You ever have that time like when you think of somebody, you haven't thought about them in a long, long time, and then you go about out and about in your day, and you haven't seen them in a long, long time, and there they are? Have you ever had that happen? That is the, the, the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it's so much fun. So, 
you know, because we get freaked out. It's funny we pray for stuff and then God does it, and we freak out like, you know, He actually did it, you know. It's kind of fun. But we should look for His mood and His word. Um, obedient prayer. What do you have to do? Obedient giving. I know that we have been on the recipient of people who have given to us at just the right time. Unbelievable. They could never know. And, and it's those Holy Spirit, it's those you, you'll never know moments that the Holy Spirit does. You have something that you have to get done a pick, and then somebody gives you some, or to encourage you. I have had encouraging notes, or somebody calls me, encourages me, or I get an encouraging email. Those are my favorite, by the way. I get some of the other emails, but the encouraging ones are the best. If you're thinking about that, the encouraging ones are my favorite. The other ones keep you stuck. By the power of the Holy Spirit, keep it you stuck. But I, there have been times where I've been encouraged, and, you have, and the people, I mean, and I'll try to tell them, I say, you have no idea, but they really don't have any idea of that moment where they just said something. Do not lose sight of a, of a simple moment of encouragement of the power of the Holy Spirit in a person's life without the meaning. Where you were going through something, and somebody said something, and it's just out of obedience, and I just wanted you to know this and that, and it's like you would have no idea how the Holy Spirit used that to encourage you today. But we should walk in the Spirit. Romans 8 talks about walking in the Spirit. The supernatural is happening. Watch for it. Don't be freaked out by it. Be aware of it. He's moving. He's speaking. Next is we should pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. This simply means to pray submitted to the Spirit in accordance with the work of the Spirit. We should pray according to the Spirit. Ask Him to help you in your prayers. Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we ought, so we ask the Holy Spirit, help me to know what to pray for and how to pray for it. I can, I can bring my laundry list to God, but sometimes you can just go get before Him in your time with Him and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, what would you have me pray for? Sometimes I'll bring people to your mind and praying in the Spirit is it's praying submitted to the Spirit. That's what it means. When you see that, that word in the Bible that says pray in the Spirit, that's what that means. You can do the word check for yourself if you want. It means praying submitted and surrendered to the Spirit. And then asking Him. It's part of walking the Spirit, being step in unity with the Spirit. Should be filled with the Spirit. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit. Now you can stop, you can stop and go, well, I thought we were filled when we surrendered and submitted and, and, and repented. Yes. But the indication here in Ephesians 5 is he said, you should just be asking the Lord to daily fill you. You should be asking the Holy Spirit to fill you. The indication in Ephesians 5 is that we are to continually be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's not like getting saved over and over again. I'm not talking about that. But we should ask, Lord, immerse me in the Spirit. I need to walk in the Spirit today. Fill me with the Spirit every day. It's realizing your dependence on Him. Without your power, Holy Spirit, I'm a mess. And it's walking out in His work in your life. Again, it's about relationship and intimacy and bringing glory to Jesus. But Holy Spirit, we should ask Him to fill us every day. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me in the Spirit every day. 
So I'm closing. These, um, again, these first followers were filled with the Spirit, and they began living life in the Spirit. We see this wildfire of uh, a breakout in Acts 2, and it begins to affect people. And you can, if you look in church history, at that moment in, in, in church history, there was this wild, this, this, like a, 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 this wild breakout, and many people began to convert to Christ by the thousands. And so you see the Spirit moving and drawing people across, people surrendering to Christ through the power of the Spirit. At the end of Acts 2, we begin to see, we, we, it, it shows us what, uh, kind of gives us a, a, a model of what it began to look like um, as believers were, were, were coming to Christ. And, and you can look at this at a different time, but it says that they were committed to the Word of God. The Word of God was sensual. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit and do life together? The Word of God was sensual. They connected relationally with each other. We should do that. We should make the Word of God sinful. We should connect relationally with each other. They had great unity, it says. What does unity mean? Unity means we love each other even though we don't agree with each other. It's making allowance for each other's faults. I can't stress that enough. And Paul tells us over and over as he writes to the churches that we have to forgive. We have to give grace. We have to love. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. Get the point? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I need to forgive again and again. And to give you a make allowance for your faults and you will make allowance for my faults. I love that Paul says make allowance for faults. He didn't say that there's going to be an absence of faults. He said, you know what? There's going to be a whole ton of faults and you're going to have to make allowance for them. But the first century church, he said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, don't leave each other. Don't cut out on each other. Love each other. Forgive each other. You're not going to see eye to eye. Choose to love them anyway. And so they had great unity. They, it says they loved each other and they gave to each other. Then you know what it says after that? They were, Word of God was central. Unity, loving each other. And here's the sentence. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That's, 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 that's revival. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Is just the opposite has happened. If we, we don't make the Word of God sinful, we don't have unity, we hold offense, we hold grudges, we criticize each other, the Lord is not going to add to our numbers those who are being saved. That's why the church has to fight for this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to fight for it. If you're offended, get over it in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can. Because if we hold on to offenses, we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account for it. We have to let it go and be free from that stuff today. I encourage you, fight for unity. People wonder why churches are dying. It's because of this kind of stuff. Churches all over America are dying every day. It's, it's, it is a crisis, and, and there's lots of guys that are writing about the crisis of the church in, in the United States. And churches are dying because of offense. That's one of the number one reasons people get offended. They get hurt. They get their feelings hurt. They fight battles that shouldn't be fighting. They get upset about stuff they shouldn't be getting upset about it. And then they don't get along, they just cut out and they, and they leave each other. That is not the answer. And the devil is having a payday on the church. 
And we have to get back to the simplicity under the power of the Holy Spirit to love, walk in unity, and hear the Word of God, and let's keep this kingdom come and this will be done in the world. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? To make allowance for my faults is going to maybe irritate you. And you need the Holy Spirit to help you. You need the Holy you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. We can't just get up in the morning and just make that decision on our own strength. That's that that's that muscle failure. When you when you've been hurt, it's muscle failure. And you need the Holy Spirit to lift that thing off of you. You need the Holy Spirit to help you forgive and to walk in love and joy and peace toward each other. And I tell you, when we have, when we do that, I love that sentence. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily who were being saved. You know why? Because part of the power of the Holy Spirit is that work and uh, the evidence of the work of Christ in your midst. And unbelievers come in and say, "What have you guys done?" And they're not going to be really impressed with our spiritual gifts if we're mean to each other. That was the torment I had as a teenager because I knew people that spoke in tongues and they were meanest snakes. Some of the meanest people that you know, they rip people apart and gossip and slander about them. And then this guy that doesn't speak in tongues is one of the nicest, most godly, God-fearing guys I've ever known. What's the problem here? Who's filled with the Spirit? Who's not? Get quiet in here. Let me just I'm sharing my heart with you today. I'm getting real I'm getting real personal with you today because I think that this is too important in the day and the age that we live in. We need Jesus Christ and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're gonna come into our midst and they're gonna say, What do you have? Because if they come into our midst and they find offense, they find anger, they find us slandering and gossiping about each other. Complaining about this, complaining about that. I don't like this and I don't like that. You know what they're going to do? I've got that in my family. I don't need to come here for it. I can get that at work. I don't need to come to this church and, and, and deal with this same stuff. And so the opposite of true is the Lord will not add to their numbers daily those who are being saved if we are operating in the, in the opposite spirit of what is going on here. This was. This was the power of the Holy Spirit in operation. And what did it cost them to do? God, we want to honor your word. I want to love my brothers and sisters. I want to walk in unity. I want to be relationally connected with each other. I want to forgive when it's hard. I want to love when it's hard. I want to make allowance for your faults because I have three of my own that you need to make allowance for too. And guess what? In the world, says, what do you guys do? Those exactly the number of those who are being saved because of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. I'm done.